Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to Jeremiah chapter 13. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about a key, a ribbon, and a declaration. A key, a ribbon, and a declaration. And that picture that's on there is where I prayed. And I'll share that with you in just a moment. Now, this will be a little different than I normally preach this morning. And I want to teach a little bit about what the scripture says about what I did. I'm going to share, and it'll be somewhat of a, an exhortation, I think, to help you and hopefully encourage you in your walk with God. Jeremiah chapter 13, begin with verse 1. It'll be on the screen. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash. The King James Version says, Go and get yourself a girdle. A girdle. I preached a message out of this years ago. I said, Is you, Do you have a dirty girdle? Amen. <laughs> get yourself a linen sash. Put it around your waist. And do not put it in the water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise. Go to the Euphrates and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the sash from the place where I'd hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts, and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, they shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory, but they would not hear. What God told Jeremiah to do was what we call a prophetic action or a prophetic act. And this morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the different modes of prophetic communication in the Bible. You see, the God we serve is very creative. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In verse 6, he said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. If you go down to verse 9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. In Genesis 1:11, then God said, verse 14, then God said, verse 20, then God said, verse 24, then God said, verse 26, then God said, verse 29, and God said, did you know that none of us have a fingerprint that's alike, that we all have a unique fingerprint? That's the way I get into my phone is with my fingerprint. Now, my iPad has a facial recognition, but it don't work when you wear a mask. So maybe God will tell somebody to take the mask off and bury it in the Euphrates. Amen. <laughs> I'll donate mine. Does God still speak today? Yes. And God said. Does God still speak Today, the way he's spoken in times past. Well, Malachi 3, 6, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. 
Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Psalms 102, 27, But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift flows down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And of course, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that God sets out patterns in His Word, and we look and study those patterns. We begin to understand His nature. We begin to understand how He works and how He moves. And I believe that God still speaks prophetically today to individuals. And I believe that God still asks individuals to do things that are prophetic actions just like he did to Jeremiah. God is still speaking today. And I love these scriptures on the next slide. Psalms 33 verse 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God stepped out on nothing and spoke the world into existence. Think about that. The great creator of the ages. God is creative. God is a creative God. I want to tell you, he is so creative. Hallelujah. God does things. Sometimes we don't understand why he's doing it. We don't understand how he's working in it. We say, Lord, are you still working? Are you, where, where are you? And we, what we don't realize or understand is God is working in ways we can't see. We can't put our finger on it, but God is moving and working underneath the surface, behind the scenes. And sometimes it may even look like we're losing. It may even look like it's over, but I want to tell you, it's not over till God says it's over. So God speaks in the following ways, and we'll put them on the screen for you. He speaks through the Bible. The first and foremost way we hear God's voice to us is through the Word of God. He speaks in a still, small voice. That's an inaudible voice that speaks directly into our spirit. How many of you have heard that still, small voice in your own life? He speaks through other people. Sometimes somebody can be up preaching and or can be teaching a lesson, or you'll just hear something, and the word will just quicken in your heart. And it may not be just a word of prophecy, but God speaks through prophecy. He speaks through words of wisdom. He speaks through uh, words of knowledge. God still speaks today. He speaks through creation, Romans 1.20. He speaks through dreams and visions, Joel 2.28, Acts 2.17. Listen to what I found here about dreams and visions. Joseph, Solomon, Pharaoh, Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar all had dreams in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Joseph warned in a dream. So we see dreams throughout the scriptures and visions. God still speaks in dreams and visions. How many of you believe you've had a prophetic dream from the Lord at some point? I know many of you have. Because you give them to me. You bring them to me. Pastor, what's this mean? What's God saying in this dream? So God still speaks through circumstances or experiences. And that's what happened to me this week. The Lord changed my plans. And I knew that God was working in circumstances and experiences. He still speaks through angels. I believe in angels today. I can't see them, but there are angels in this room today. And then God can speak in an audible voice. So let's see prophetic communication in the earth. And I'm going to give you seven models very quickly of communication, and then I'm going to get to the place where I'm going to preach. James Gold, in his book, The Coming Prophetic Revolution, 
and a call for passionate, consecrated warriors define seven different models of communication through which the prophetic spirit is released. Number one is what we call the prophetic oracle. It is a declaration decreeing something into being. It is a proclamation, and if it's authentic, it will be accompanied by a faith level, an unction, or anointing of God's presence. In Acts 21, 10, and 11, Agabus warns Paul about what awaits him in Jerusalem. That is a prophetic oracle. Then there's what we call, secondly, a prophetic exhortation. It's very similar to the prophetic oracle. It's more common in its usage as a tool to stir up and urge them on in their faith or towards a particular goal. The prophetic exhortation carries a tone of urgency for those to whom it is directed. It stimulates people into action and stirs up courage with them. Judas and Silas were prophets in Antioch. Look at Acts 15.32. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Then we have next what we call prophetic prayer. I would call this prophetic intercession. Revelatory prayer is one of the most common expressions of the prophetic spirit. It's also referred to as prophetic intercession. It is not preaching directed at people, but petitions filled with Holy Spirit illumination directed to God. It's a form of prayer that takes place when we pray more than we know. We begin to pray, and it's almost like there's an anointing on that prayer, and we start praying things out that we really are not aware of or we don't know. That is what we call prophetic intercession. And we need that gift, that mode of the prophetic ministry to move in this hour more than it's moved before. It's, it's praying more than I know. It's praying more than I understand. And there's a prophetic element to my intercession and to my prayers. Then there's what we call the prophetic song. This song is imparted or inspired spontaneously. Often it comes all at once to the person, complete and never to be repeated. It's just a, it's like a prophetic utterance, and it just comes in the form of a song. The singer or the musician is being used to express the current mind and the mood of God through song. This can be an intercessory song from the heart of God or a more directed prophetic song from the Lord to his people. Then we have what we call personal prophecy. My ministry moves in personal prophecy. Oftentimes when I go out and preach and go and minister, we spend a lot of times ministering prophetically to people in personal things, personal prophecy. This is different than moving in prophetic ministry like in a nation or being a prophet to a nation. This is the gift of prophecy working through individuals. And I believe any spirit-filled individual can, can experience and be used in this gift. Come on, somebody, and say amen. Nobody takes ownership of the gifts. It's not as I will, but it's as the Spirit wills. He pours those gifts of the Spirit out on us. So this is one of the most common and expected communication modes of the prophetic. It's referred to in Paul's first epistle to Timothy as prophetic utterance. He told Timothy, he said, Wage a good warfare with the prophetic words that have been spoken over you. When the presbytery laid their hands on you and set you forth in ministry, they gave you prophetic words and a prophetic utterance in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Then there's what we call prophetic vision. Many of the prophets in Scripture receive prophecy through dreams and visions. We call these seers. This is particularly true in the Old Testament examples of prophetic ministry in Zechariah chapter 4. The visionary person operates as the seer. This gift still operates today. There are people that God shows them and they see pictures. They see movies. Some hear. See, you're either audio or you're visual. I'm an audio person. I can hear things. I can remember things that people have said to me. And more than seeing it, sometimes I hear it. But I, you know, I used to say, Lord, I don't see very often. I don't see things. And the Lord says, stop, stop saying that. And I've taught 
Last year, I believe it was through the fall, I taught on the anointing of the seer, the seer ministry and the seer gift. And on Wednesday nights, we went through that extensively and talked about that. And one day I was out in my front yard and I was out there and I was talking on the phone. That's where I talk. I walk around the yard. But I was out in the front yard and I was walking around and I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and he began to pray for me. And when he prayed for me, immediately I saw a storm like a whirlwind. And in that whirlwind, it was kicking up all kinds of debris and all kinds of dirt. And the Lord said to me, he said, son, you're seeing the storm that's been opposing you. And that's why you can't see the breakthrough. It's because the enemy's tried to blind you to what he's doing. And I said, Lord, I won't say I don't see anymore. I'll always say I want to be able to see those things. But there's some people that are there, they're visionary, they operate, and they don't typically give words like, thus saith the Lord, but they see things, and they describe what they see, and that is a blessing to people. Remember what I said about God? God is creative, and we can't lock God up in a box. We can't just put him into a certain mode and say, well, this is the way God speaks. God has a variety of ways he can speak to you. And if you'll listen and look for it, you'll see God in a lot of things. Now, I'm not saying that you go out and just everything is a sign. A fellow said to me one day, he said, Pastor, my, my car turned over a certain number. What does that mean? I said, that means you got that many number of miles on your car. But you can also see numbers and patterns, and you'll start seeing it, and you won't look for it, and you'll see it. I see 1111. The other day, I opened up a book on the iPad, and it immediately went to the last page of the book. And I looked up in the corner, and it said, Page 111 of 111. I thought, 111. Can't make this up. And then later that day, I looked at my clock for something. It was 1111. That night, I got online to do something, and the something that the person sent me had 1111 in it. So you will see numbers at times, and you have to say, Lord, are you saying something through those numbers? God speaks in a variety of ways. Then we have what we call the prophetic action. This is number seven. And I just... I took this out of his book. I liked the way it sounded, and I just copied it and, and put it into this. Listen to what it says. At times, the parabolic prophetic person is moved on to physically demonstrate his or her word to live the word. The mode of communication, therefore, is that of gestures and actions. This form of prophecy is not the norm, nor should it be promoted as higher or more significant than another. All of these are equal in their expression. Your expression, the heart, and the mind of God. Prophecy is for the exhortation, the edification, and the comfort of God's people. God never uses prophecy to tear people down, to hurt people, or to wound people. God uses prophecy as one of the redemptive gifts to bring redemption and to bring a blessing to the people of God. I do not believe that prophecy should be held higher than the scriptures. I don't live my life based on prophecy. I live my life based on the word of God. I believe that you judge and test prophecies in the scriptures. They have to find their authenticity here. And the Bible says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our savior. It, you should lift him up. It, it, should, it should promote redemption, and it should promote goodness, the goodness and the blessings of God. Now, there are times when there can be warnings that come. There are times for that. I believe they, there's a protocol for that. But this morning, I'm talking about prophecy as it works within the local body of Christ, and I'm talking about 
This right here, prophetic actions. We call them prophetic acts. God will have you to go and do something that has a prophetic tone to it, but it's not necessarily a thus saith the Lord. That's what I experienced this week. God's been dealing with me about this for about a week now, maybe 10 days. And he said to me, he said, I want you to go to Georgia. In Jeremiah 13, we have the symbol of the linen sash. He goes and buries the sash on the banks of the Euphrates and then digs it up many days later. This is a prophetic act. This is what he said. I went to the Euphrates. I dug. I took the sash from the place where I'd hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people. Think about that who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their own hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. He's got a sash that he's buried in the ground and he's dug it up, and this is a prophetic picture to the people of Judah and Jerusalem of what is to come. That was what we call a prophetic act. So let's look at them in the Bible. Jeremiah 27, 2 and 3 Jeremiah wore a yoke. In Ezekiel 5, 1 through 4, Ezekiel shaved his head with a sword. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Hosea marries a prostitute. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9 and 10, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who, wears, who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. So why did God say to me, go to Georgia? I'm not a pastor in Georgia, although I have strong roots in Georgia, mostly uh, through Beth's family, through my family. My family was one of the early settling families that settled the Hartwell, Georgia area. And I thought about this and I said, Lord, why did you ask me to go to Georgia and to pray? And then it dawned on me, number one, last Friday I did a radio broadcast in Georgia, and I've been doing these over the last few months for Dr. Pauline Hughes. She's going to school, and she can't do them. She said, would you just take my radio program? I've preached extensively all through that area of Georgia, up in northeast Georgia and Augusta, Georgia area, and every time I think that I'm finished or that door is going to close, God will reopen that door and I go back to that door. So I have a measure of authority that God has given me in the state of Georgia, but I really believe this was more about me and what God wanted to do in my own life and what God wanted to teach me. How many of you know that the things God asks you to do is usually more about you than it is about the state of Georgia or wherever you're doing? And I lived there and pastored people that were on the other side. So I drove over, and I'll talk about that in a moment. I drove over through Abbeville, Calhoun Falls, over into Elberton, and I prayed over there next to the Richard B. Russell Dam. But here's what I found to confirm this. And last night, Dutch Sheets and a team of intercessors were praying in Atlanta, in Georgia. And that was confirmation to me. Here's some prophetic words. John Hamill wrote a book called The, the White House Watchman, and I know him and his wife from Maryland. I know the ministry they lead. It's called Lamplighters. And here's what they said. The destiny of America now rests with Georgia. John Hamill, back in 2014, he prophesied that Georgia is the reconstitution state. 
which in a time of coming turmoil would even protect and defend the United States Constitution in a way that affects the nation. Jamie Jackson prophesied in 2018 that as Georgia goes, so goes the nation. And on Yom Kippur 2019, I saw a vision of a train rolling down to Jekyll Island, Georgia. And Brunswick, Georgia is basically the gateway to Jekyll Island. As I continued to watch, the train made a sudden turnaround and it accelerated right back up to Washington, D.C. So here's my prayer journey. There's a map of where I was right there on the Savannah River. Psalms 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. So about 10 days ago, the Lord began to deal with me about doing this. I shared it with my wife, and the Lord said, Take a key, take a ribbon that's red, and take a scriptural declaration from 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 14 through 32. Go over into Georgia, pray that prayer, and then take those items and bury those items in the ground because what you're doing is you're planting that thing into the ground. How many of you know that iniquity embeds itself down in the ground that's why everywhere abraham went and throughout the scriptures they built an altar because what we worship on that ground see that's why place is very important in scripture we call it the law place everywhere they built an altar they built an altar and they dedicated that land to god how do you think elijah broke the back of Baal worship he built an altar on that mountain and he called that land back into covenant with God. You understand, sin will embed itself into that. And whatever we worship in that place and whatever we open the door to, that's what rules in the heavens over that place. That's why when you go into certain cities, there's certain spirits that are just attached to that spirit. You can sense it. You can go to some places and say, ooh, I don't want to go back to that place again. That was so oppressive. What was that? It's what we've opened the door to and what we've worshipped in that place. Now, in America, one of the biggest issues we have is, is a word called greed. That's one of the issues that we face in this nation. We're blessed beyond measure. But if you look at our giving per capita, our giving don't measure up to what it should be. Boy, I'm preaching good and can't get no help in here. That's one of the issues we face. We face many others. But right there is the place where God said to go. And God reordered my steps. I planned to go because Winder's on the gate of Atlanta. I thought I'll pray. That's a good place. But that's not where God meant for me to go. Now I'm going to share. Is this okay? So I prayed near the Richard B. Russell Dam which used to be called Trotter Shoals, and it's on the border of South Carolina and Georgia. And I'd, if I've ever seen this, I couldn't remember. You see, the, you see the sign up there, Colonial Crossing, the Colonial Crossing. I didn't know the historical significance of the place where I was praying. The point where early settlers crossed into the state of Georgia, and this was at the confluence of the Broad and the Savannah Rivers. The Broad River and the Savannah River marked the border of the Cherokee Indian tribe and the Creek Indian tribe. It's called the gateway for settlers. I didn't know this until after I got home and started researching this. From Virginia, North and South Carolina to enter. And in this place nearby where I was, they established a fort called Fort James. The name James comes from the name Jacob. It means surplanter, trickster. And I was praying against any tricks that were being pulled by the enemy to be exposed in Jesus' name. But they also established a court there to record the land. Now, Georgia was different than the other colonies in that Georgia didn't have a governor. Georgia had a group of trustees that ran the colony from London. 
But later, they got a governor. And this governor, I believe his name was Governor Wright, began to allow settlers to come in and seed them the land. And they would come across the river, the Savannah. And the Savannah is one of the most important rivers in our region. It's drinking water, it's commerce, and it's a very important place. It's also a gate into that state. You have to cross over the Savannah to get into that state in most places from South Carolina. And it flows down to the ocean. And I began to realize how important and strategic the place that I was. And I said, Lord, you never meant for me to go to the gateway of Atlanta. You meant for me to come to the gateway that's nearest me here. And this was a seat of government. It was a place where they had a court, where they uh, assigned land. It was a place where they had a fort. And right there, God ordered my steps and circumstances changed my steps so that I would go to a place of importance and pray because there's something there in history that God wants to bring forth into the present. I hope you can see that this morning. I don't quite know how to express all that I feel. So sometimes God will call us to go back to these important geographical locations to pray and to intercede. So I went to the Richard B. Russell Dam. So here's where my journey began at the Richard B. Russell Dam. This dam was built to create a reservoir and to generate power. And here's what I prayed. I prayed for anything that's been held back, anything that's been dammed up, anything that needs to be released. I begin to pray. And I'm praying for a Holy Ghost dam break. I'm praying that the dam will break open in Jesus' name. Not literally, but spiritually. And whatever's been held back, whatever's been kept back, that we would see a breakthrough in the name of the Lord. I'm praying and believing for the Holy Spirit to move in the state of Georgia and the state of South Carolina down along the border of Savannah to all down around the borders of the Savannah River on each side of the border. I'm telling you, it's time for us to see tradition torn down. It's time for us to see religion torn down and have a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, whatever's been dammed up, whatever's been bottled up, whatever's been held back, we're praying that the God of the breakthrough will come in Jesus' name. 2 Samuel 5.20, so David went to Belperazim, and David defeated the enemy there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of water. Therefore, he named the place Belperazim, which means the Lord who breaks through. Micah 2.13 is one of the things I prayed. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it, and the king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. I prayed that the breaker himself would come and break open whatever has resisted, whatever has kept back what God wants to do in Jesus' mighty name. So here's what the Lord told me. He said, take a key. Why a key? Well, if you've been in here in any length of time, you know the message of the key. Matthew 16, 18, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you be loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Listen, I found this quote and I love it. Right now you may be facing a situation that looks utterly hopeless. But God has a key ring full of keys that will unlock any situation. He has the keys that open doors for you spiritually and physically, financially and emotionally. No matter how hard the devil tries to trap you, if you'll get hold of the right key, you can find your way out. Keys represent the following. Number one, keys represent authority. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Keys, the Bible gives us keys of the kingdom. 
the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind. So I took my key and I said, Lord, I unlock what needs to be unlocked. I unlock corruption. I unlock what's been done in darkness. I unlock the, what's been done even in this election that is corrupt and evil and wicked and needs to come to the forefront. The enemy's tried to lock it away and hide it away. I take the key of heaven and I loose it in Jesus' name. I unlock it in the name of the Lord and I declare that the name of Jesus is greater than the corruption that's in this nation. Second thing keys represent is access. In Revelation 3, 7 it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. A key is a very small thing, but its significance lies in that which is open. Keys give us access to our cars. Keys give us access to our houses. Keys give us access to our offices and workplaces. We only entrust keys to people that we trust. The keys of the kingdom of heaven give us something far more valuable. They give us a key to the storeroom of heaven. Think about it. And the storeroom has everything we need. We used to sing a song, He's All I Need. Jesus is all I need. That's good theology. I want to tell you, all we need today is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's more than enough. Can somebody shout amen? amen? The third thing keys represent is authorization. If I have a key, that means I have permission and power by authority to unlock and to reveal what needs to be revealed for the key. So I use those keys to decree Anything that has been hidden and done undercover or covered up will be unlocked and revealed. And here's the scripture I use. Numbers 32, 23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sins will find you out. Second thing God told me to take was a ribbon. A red ribbon. Why red? Well, I'm believing that Georgia will turn red. You say, Pastor, they've already said it's blue. I don't care what they've said. I believe it's going to turn red. But now listen, I didn't go there to contend for no Republican Party. I didn't go there just to contend for a presidential election. Here's what I was praying. Let the state of Georgia turn red and be covered with the blood of Jesus. Because remember, as Georgia goes, the nation goes. But the Lord said, go to Georgia. So I'm praying this morning that the state of Georgia is going to be covered with the blood of Jesus. Now last time I looked, blood is red. So I took a red ribbon. You say, you got scripture for that? Thank you so much for asking. You remember there was a harlot in the book of Joshua by the name of Rahab. She wasn't an innkeeper. She didn't ho have a hotel. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Yeah. I don't need to define that any farther, do I? That's why there were people would come in and out of her house, in and out. And that's why when they were looking for those spies, they came to her house because they knew it was a place where strangers stayed. But I want you to know that God had redemption for this harlot. She might have given her body away for money. She might have done despicable, evil things to support her family. But God had a plan for this harlot. And if you read over it, you'll find out that Rahab the harlot was saved because she hung a scarlet thread in her window. And she is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah! That ought to give us hope this morning. And he said, take a scarlet thread. And pray. And there's the scripture right there. Joshua chapter 2 verse 17 through 19. Let me just read verse 19 to you. 
So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Verse 21, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Hallelujah. Then the third thing God told me to take was a declaration. And I found 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 14 through 32. And it's the story in that chapter where Jehu, Jehu's a captain, he's a, he's a, he's a military man. He's sitting at a table, and Elisha sent a prophet, a young prophet, to go to him. He said, you go and you find Jehu, and you anoint him with oil, and you anoint him to be the king of Israel. And this prophet goes in, finds him at a table, calls him to the side into another room without any fanfare, pours oil over him, and declares him that he is now anointed to be king. The prophet leaves. Jehu goes back and sits down, and they say, what did the prophet say? And he said, oh, he was just babbling on about something. But they recognized something different. And he said, well, he said, I'm the king. And they got up immediately and started recognizing him as the king. What was that? That was a turnaround anointing. Can I just preach this for a minute? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. God's about to do something in this place. Let me tell you what he did. He started riding towards Jezreel. That's the place where Armageddon's going to take place. That's the place where Jezebel was in the tower. And Jehu starts riding towards Jezreel. And the wicked king of Israel and the wicked king of Judah were there. And as he rode, the man in the tower said, It looks like the, the driving of Jehu. It looks like it might be Jehu. So they sent runners out on horses. And they rode out to find out, Is it peace? Are you coming in peace? And he says, Are you with me or are you against me? And immediately they turned around and they started declaring, Jehu. Jehu is king. Jehu is king. In a moment, God turned it around. He killed the wicked king of Israel. He killed the wicked king of Judah. He rode into Jezreel and Jezebel painted her face. She got ready to put on her charms and three eunuchs threw her out the window and they ran over her with their horses and their chariots and the Bible said the dogs ate her body and there was nothing left of her. I've come to tell you it might look like it's over. I've come to tell you it might look like it's done. But God God has a Jehu. He has a turnaround. And in a moment, he can turn it around. And Jezebel can be cast out of the tower. Hallelujah. It's time for a turnaround. And a turnaround anointing. God took an unlikely commander and made him a king. Glory to God. And he dethroned Jezebel and released that nation from the ungodly rule. So, I drove from the dam up to the visitor center. Nobody was there. It's closed because of COVID. I'm there on that beautiful shore, looking out over that gorgeous lake, all by myself. I took that declaration. I opened up the scriptures, and I read that declaration. And I prayed that declaration and decreed it. I then called my beautiful wife, and I said, Do you have a moment? I need somebody to agree with me in prayer. And together, we prayed for the next few moments. And we agreed. I left there and I drove up the road a little piece. And there's a boat launch there. And you can go down to the lake. And I walked up the shoreline. And I dug a hole. And I took that paper. Folded it up. Took out that cord. And took the key. And I made declarations. And decreed again. 
and prayed, and I buried that in the ground. Why did I bury the key? I won't need it anymore. That's unlocked. Now, I don't know what God's going to do in Georgia, but watch Georgia. Not because of me. There's many of us that's doing this. The Lord told me last night, he said, Son, I have people all over the country I'm speaking to to do these things. I thought, wow. Wow. Some of us will never be heard of. It's all right. We're not supposed to. It's not about us. It's about his glory. And I buried that thing in the ground. I got back in the car, and God began to confirm it. Now, look at this next slide. You see what it says on my, on my radio clock? 222. Folks, you can't make this up. I made a video. I'm not going to show the video because I'm sharing with you. But when I got home and I looked at the video, it's 2 minutes and 22 seconds long. 2.22 on the clock. This is totally unplanned. This is not something I planned. And the Lord said, go to Revelation 2.22. Here's what it said. Indeed, I will cast her, Jezebel, into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. This is the major spirit that we're dealing with in this nation. It is a Jezebelic spirit. It operates through witchcraft and divination. It, it flows out of a spirit of the cult. The spirit of a cult has captured the news media. That's why all you hear is just lies and, and just oppressive. Oppress if you have any spiritual sensitivity at all, you can feel this oppression. You can feel it in the air. It is that oppressive spirit. And we, the church, have to rise up in the name of the Lord and cast that off and begin to pray and begin to declare God's will and begin to intercede for this nation and declare that this is the end of Jezebel. This is Jezebel's last stand. And Lord, you said right here that you will cast those that are with her into a sick bed with her and that you will put them into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. 2.22. I thought, wow. So I got to research in 2.22. Can I share, can I finish this up? So I got back in the car. I took, I, I just thought, I'll take a picture of that. And I got home and I noticed the video. I thought, and I'm just at the late, I'm not real good at videos. So I, I'm holding the camera up here. I don't have long arms. And I'm talking into the video, okay? Just out of my heart, nothing planned. Just thought, I need to make a video down here by the lake to share what I'm doing. Put the phone up, got back in the car to leave. And when I got home, looked at the video, 2.22. I said, there's two witnesses. How many of you believe God was speaking to me? So I looked up 2.22 in the Bible. And, and all the places of 2.22. Now listen to what 2.22 means. First of all, the Lord took me back to Isaiah 22.22. 22. The key of the house of David I lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one will open. 2.22 means a complete witness. The geometry of the three-word term John the Baptist is exactly 2.22. It means that John the Baptist is the perfect and complete witness to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man became for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of the light. 2.22 has to do with signs and wonders and miracles. The only scripture in the Bible that has all three words, signs, wonders, and miracles, is found in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, when God did them through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. 2.22, if you're seeing that, it may be a witness to the manifest power of God. He wants to bring you and to go after him for it. Two, Genesis 2.22, where man made woman, represents intimacy. 
uh, Troy Brewer writes about American revival. Listen to this. American revivals tend to be poured out on the dates with the number 222. History shows that on 2-22-1906, William Seymour arrived in Los Angeles, California, and the Azusa Street Revival, which is still going on, by the way, began. It's one of the greatest revivals in history going back in our time. 1776, when this nation was founded, 2 times 2 times 2 times 222 is 1776. Coincidence? I don't think so. George Washington's birthday, 2-22-1732. Am I preaching okay? Amen. Now, let's look at some scriptures. In Joshua 2.22, you'll be hidden from your enemies. In 2 Kings 2.22, waters of healing. In Proverbs 2.22, total separation from your enemies. Isaiah 2.22, separation from people who hinder you. Some of you need to pray that now. Amen. Daniel 2.22, he reveals deep and secret things. Matthew 2.22, dreams and visions for guidance. James 2.22, acts of faith. Mark 2.22, new wine and new wineskins. Come on, I'm talking about revival. Ephesians 2.22, you find your place in the body of Christ. Second. Samuel 22.2 means stability in God in an unstable world. Are we living in an unstable world right now? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. I'm telling you, God is up to something in this earth. Don't believe what you hear on Fox or MSNBC or CNN or the major networks. Don't believe what you read in the newspapers because I'm telling you they have an agenda, but you believe what thus saith the Lord and you believe what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I've come to tell you that we're going to have a 2.22 moon moment where God is going to pour out new wine and we're going to have the new wine skins to hold the new wine and God is about to visit planet earth in a significant way. Can somebody give God praise in this house? 